the book of Psalms is a, about an attitude of worship, the soul reaching out to God. I would say, if you want to put it this way, the Psalms are medicine for the soul because they point us to the great physician or the great doctor of our souls. His name is Jesus. I've told people, a psalm a day will keep anxiety away. A psalm a day will keep sin away. It will help you. And since there's 150 psalms and 365 days in a year, if you ever wonder, well, what should I read today? Sometimes I will just pick the psalm that matches the day of the month. So it might be August the 4th or the 5th, and I'll just turn to Psalm 5. And I often turn to the psalm and the proverb of the day. And I'm spending a lot of time in a lot of different books, but sometimes that's just a way for me to get a quick time of uh, personal devotion and meditation on God's word. And so I'll just let that psalm speak to me about, you know, what God would say to me for that day. The psalms are filled with Hebrew poetry, uh, wisdom literature, and prophets. They're filled with parallelism, synonyms, or synonymous language, antithetical, intensifying, and clarifying. They have, some of them, chiastic structure. Some of them are acrostics. And let me just give you some information about the authors. There are 50 psalms that are anonymous. We do not know who the author of the psalms are. Sometimes when you hear about the psalms, you think David wrote all of them. He did not. He wrote 73 of the psalms. About half of the psalms are attributed to David. So he's not the only author of the book of Psalms. You say, well, who are some of the other authors? Well, Solomon, uh, two of them uh, attributed to Solomon or written to Solomon. Moses gets credit for Psalm 90 and maybe even Psalm 91. Uh, several Psalms are penned by Asaph, several by the sons of Korah, uh, other Psalms by one named Jeduthun. Another is, uh, this is Psalm 89, is for Ethan the Ezraite, and Psalm 88 by Haman, H-E-M-A-N, the Ezraite. So just a summary, this is from G. Campbell Morgan. The individual psalms are natural expressions by many authors at various times under differing circumstances of the consciousness of God in their given situation. And so they span perhaps a period of around 500 years, and they were collected. Uh, we don't know who the collector of all the psalms were, but ultimately packaged, if you will, into 150 different psalms. Some of them are very short, just a few verses. Six we read tonight. Some of them are very long. In fact, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. It has well over 150 verses. How many of you have tackled Psalm 119 before? Just raise up your hand. It's all about the power of the Word of God. It's a, all about the power of the law of God. There are different type, types of psalms. There are messianic psalms, prophetic, about Jesus. There are penitential psalms. There are imprecatory, imprecatory psalms. Penitential means repentant. Imprecatory means, Lord, break their teeth. Have you ever read a psalm like that? You're like, okay, Lord, I need some medicine from the soul. Medicine for the soul. Okay, Lord, break their teeth. Let them eat gravel today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm ready to get on with my day. That's an imprecatory psalm. There are historical psalms. An example is Psalm 78, recounting the history of Israel, the redemption that God did, how he worked, how he brought the manna, how they ate the bread of angels, how he guided them in the desert. 
so historical rec recollections, there are psalms of degrees, like Psalms 120 through 134. There are Hallel psalms, Psalm one th Psalms 113 one through 118, that were sung during the feasts of Israel, especially Passover. And then there are uh, psalms that have concluding notes and uh, types of songs. I could go on and on, but there's different uh, types like mizmors, uh, maskils, uh, mictums, and there are even musical notations. Like, for example, you're very familiar with the term selah. That term, as you see it in a song or a psalm, whenever it's off to the right, what it's saying to you is that there's a pause in the music. Remember, the psalms were songs, so selah is a pause, but it's also a call for the reader to ponder the words of the psalm. So whenever you say, see, see selah and you read it, it would be a good time for you to pause and ponder. That's all you got to really think about. Let me pause and ponder. What did I just read? Have you ever been in a passage of Scripture and it's like you're reading it, but you're not really retaining it? This is an encouragement to do some selah. Just pause for a minute. Let it sink down. Let it become medicine for your soul. There's a division of five uh, what's called books of the Psalms. Let me give them to you quickly. I'm moving rapidly, but uh, you can go back and revisit this, and I'd be happy to pass my notes along. Book one in the Psalms is chapters 1 through 41, mostly penned by David. There, that's sometimes termed Davidic. David is the author. Psalms 42 through 72 are, again, mostly from David. And the, uh, those who have done studies of the division of the book like to emphasize how many times Yahweh is used and how many times Elohim is, is used. For example... In Psalms 42 through 72, mostly penned by David, the word Yahweh for God is used 30 times and Elohim 164 times. Details you may not care about, but some of you do. Book 3, Psalms 73 through 89, are mostly penned by Asaph. They're called Asaphian. Yahweh is used 44 times there and Elohim 43 times. Psalms 90 through 106 are mostly anonymous. We don't know the author. We do know that Psalm 90 was written by Moses, but most of the other Psalms we don't know. And then Book 5, Psalms 107 through 150 are from David and then other anonymous authors. And each of these books comes to a conclusion with some, something that we might consider a benediction or a, an ending that is unique to each section, each division. So the first division is Psalms 1 through 41, Turn all the way to Psalm 41. Let me just show you how this works. So this is considered the first book. You say, what do you mean, Pastor, book? Well, this is how um, they're sectioned off, and not everybody agrees that this is the way it should be, but you'll kind of see the idea. So at the end of Psalm 41, it's the ending of each of these psalms. Look at verse 13, and you'll see, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, 4113, from everlasting to everlasting, and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Now, whenever you say Amen, you're saying, that's right. Let it be so. I agree. Amen. That's what you're saying. So, only say the Amen if you agree. We were doing a slow-pitch uh, softball uh, game with another church, and we always pray after the good competition. 
and we were in a circle, and we were holding hands with guys from another church, and one of the guys prayed for the New York Yankees in our circle. And somebody else said out loud, I will not say the amen to praying for the New York Yankees. I am not in agreement. So anyway, make sure you agree if you're going to say the amen. Now the second book, Psalms 42 through 72, mostly from David, go all the way to Psalm 72. Let me show you again how you can see some conclusions, call them closing prayers, and sometimes called benediction or prayers to bless God and ask for his blessing. So here's Psalm 72. Just look at the very end. We'll go back to verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, 72, 18, the God of Israel who alone works wonders. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. What's your Bible say? Amen and amen. And then note in 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And so that's why some people say, ah, okay, here you have a portion of the book of Psalms that seems to end with some of the authorship of David here. Although it's not ironclad because um, there's, there's some question, for example, in book five, some of it is credited to David. So let's move on. Psalm 73 through 89 or book three mostly written by Asaph. Let's go to Psalm 89. And we'll get, once again, an ending, 89.52. So a pretty long psalm here. Note how it ends. It says, Blessed be the Lord, Psalm 89.52, forever. And once again, we get what? Amen and amen. Book 4, Psalms 90 through 106, go all the way to Psalms, Psalm 106, is anonymous. Authors we don't really know. But let's take a look at, once again, how it ends. Psalm 106, we're going to move all the way to verses 47 and 48. Kind of a cry to God, benediction, save us. 47, O Lord our God. Psalm 106, 47. Gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Whenever you see Lord all capped there, see that? L-O-R-D there, that's Yahweh. That's the tetragrammaton. It's the four letters. So whenever you see Lord capitalized, it's actually Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. This is where we get the idea of Yahweh or Yahweh. We don't know exactly what the vowels would be because we only have the consonants. But whenever you see Lord with a capital L-O-R-D, it's going to be Adon or Adonai. That's the word for Lord. But whenever it's, it's all capped, it's Yahweh. So you, you're reading your Bible, see Lord in all caps, you know that's the divine name right there. It's, that's the name of the Lord. It's all capped because we know for sure that's God's name. Sometimes Lord is used of humans. So it might not be the Lord. Everybody with me? But Lord all capped is the divine name. So you know that's the Lord or God himself. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting even to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Amen, and then praise the Lord. By the way, that three-word um, phrase, praise the Lord, is captured in one word. That one word is hallelujah. So whenever you say hallelujah, it just simply means praise the Lord. So if you sing a song and the song says hallelujah, that's just another way of saying praise the Lord or praise ye the Lord. And then finally, the 
last division, book five, Psalms 107 through 150 by David and other anonymous authors, takes us to the very end of the Psalter, or the book of Psalms, also known as the Psalter, with a very famous uh, Psalm 150, just six verses that conclude the book of Psalms, but notice how it ends. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then once again, let me hear you, praise the Lord. Now that's just a quick overview of the book of Psalms all the way back to Psalm chapter 1. Now we have done several studies in the Psalms which are on our website and available on our app. All you got to do is look for the logo that says Psalms. And we're going to work on a, something that's an overarching thing called Medicine for the Souls. And I'm going to be picking out selected psalms as we move on. I believe that this is something we need. We've been hearing a lot of hard truth. We go through a lot of tough stuff. We just finished the book of Ezra, right? And uh, you guys love truth. You come here hungry. But I just had a sense that you might need some medicine. Anybody out there you need a little bit of medicine? I mean, it's tough, crazy times out there. I know a lot of people are scared and uptight and wondering what's next and there's anxiousness and and so I wanted to give you this blessed opening psalm tonight. Opening with Psalm 1-1. How blessed is the man. The Hebrew word could just mean the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now some have said that if you read the opening of any book of the Bible, you're going to get kind of a trajectory of that book. Like the opening chapter of Proverbs will tell you what Proverbs are, what they represent, how they're defined. Psalm chapter 1, it's been said, gives you a trajectory for the overall flavor of the Psalms. It tells you that if you stay in the book of Psalms, and for that matter, of course, your whole Bible, you will be a blessed person. You will be blessed because you'll be walking not in the counsel of the wicked. You won't be following their counsel, their path. You'll be following the counsel of God. The word blessed in Hebrew is ashar. If you want it, it's A-S-H-A-R, ashar. The word blessed means happiness, blessedness. Vines defines this word ashar as a state of prosperity as when a superior bestows favor upon you. The Hebrew word picture literally means fire on the head. Let me explain. When you hear me say Hebrew word pictures, when Moses originally wrote Hebrew, and remember we're moving from left, so we're moving from right to left, not left to right. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, they were, it was written originally in pictures. So you know how Chinese is written in symbols? Well, that's kind of the idea. So oftentimes when you look at a word picture in Hebrew, you'll just have a couple of symbols that will give you the word. And this word originally, as written by Moses, showed fire on somebody's head. That's what I'm talking about when I say fire on the head in the original picture. Now, where in the Bible do we see fire on people's heads? In Acts chapter 2. And what's happening there? Holy Spirit is coming upon God's people and endowing them with power. And Jesus said, wait until the Spirit comes and you are endowed with power from on high. So fire on the head speaks of God's presence. Now, it could take, be taken other ways. 
for example, we're told in the book of Romans that uh, if you pay your enemy back with kindness instead of, uh, you know, anger or wrath, you'll, it's like burning coals upon his head. So fire on the head could be seen different ways, but here fire on the head, we'll take it as a positive, representing the presence and the power of God. Amen? This is what it means to be blessed. It's not just that things worked out for you. Because sometimes we hear people get interviewed and they say, I'm blessed, I'm so blessed. And we know what they mean, but they may not know the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives the blessing. He imparts the power. He, it's his presence that blesses me. So fire in the head can symbolize both the presence of God and, this writer says, it can also have the idea of facing uncomfortable realities of life with God's presence there. This is James 1.12. Just write it down for your notes. James 1.12. Maybe if you write in your Bible, just write it right next to verse 1. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, James 1.12, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the idea of adversity. So blessing is not always everything is going great and I'm sensing the power of God as I tiptoe through the tulips and watch the rainbows and the birds flying and, and, and hear the, the, the beautiful songs. No, it, it also can be, blessing can also come as you persevere under the heat of trials. Everybody with me? Back to the word picture, fire on the head or ashar. How blessed is the man or the woman, the person. And it starts with a negative here. It gives you a key to how to experience blessing. The blessed person does not, starting with a negative, they don't walk in the council. Now, if you've been around the Bible for a while, the word walk is just a synonym for living, or it, it pictures a consistent stride. So whenever you see walk, just think of how you live, how you walk out your life, okay? So the blessed person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. That's what she, he does not do. Now, there's all kinds of counsel out there. We have people who are paid counselors. We, you know, we have the idea of we can counsel somebody. But if you want to stay on God's path, you need to let God's word be your counselor. And God's spirit uses God's word to counsel your path. So don't listen to the counsel of the wicked, those who don't know God. Don't stand in their path. Don't sit in their seat. Scholars have pointed out that there's a progression here of comfort. First you walk, you start listening to some counsel. Then all of a sudden you're standing in their path. And then you're sitting among them. Almost like Peter sitting at the firelight, you know, warming himself at the enemy's fire. See, sin can be progressive. Usually most people don't fall in an instant. They fall little by little. Amen? You could say amen to hard teaching as well. Because it just means, I agree with that. It's true. Falling usually is not just you woke up and you fell on your feet. Although some of you <laughs> can relate to that. But anyway, it's a different story. But it's usually progressive. It's little compromises that then cause big falls. 
So if you're getting counsel from someone who's a non-Christian and wicked, and I'm sorry to put it this way, but this is how the Bible paints it. This is someone who doesn't know God and could even be anti-God. You're getting counsel from them. You start standing in the path of those who are in rebellion to God, and now you sit down with the scoffers. Well, you're in trouble. That's the opposite of blessedness. You're not going to be blessed you could call verse 1 blessed avoidance. The Bible's given you a formula of how to avoid missing out on blessing. Or the opposite of blessing in the Bible's vernacular is what? Cursing. You don't want to be under a curse. You don't want to be under the wrath of God. You don't want to be under the judgment of God. You want to be blessed. And so this is blessed avoidance, starting with a negative. Don't Listen to the counsel of those who don't know God. Or, to put it another way, the wisdom of the world. The world has its wisdom. It's always touting it to us. But this is a blessed way to avoid that, to avoid problems and even disastrous consequences. How many of you could step back for a second and say, I had a season of my life where I got poor counsel, I followed it, and the consequences were very disastrous. I tell you, that's me. I had a season of my life. I grew up around the things of God. My family got away from the things of God. I was feeling tugged back. But in that, in that time of probably about a good 10 years, I made some significant mistakes that I will tell you I regret to this day. And I can't undo them. Now, I know I'm forgiven, and I'm resting in the finished work of Christ. But I got bad counsel, and I'm not even going to blame the counselors because I'm the one that acted upon the counsel. But looking back on it, had I known more about the wisdom of God and what he says about life, I, I think I would have made a different decision or decisions because it's not just one. But unfortunately, I listened to the counsel of the world, and, and to be honest, it's really all I knew. I mean, how many of you you start opening up the Bible and you're like, man, there's stuff in here that I'm making discoveries about wisdom and, and how to navigate life. Every time I open this book, there's things in here that I didn't realize, I didn't know. And there's some things we're simply just ignorant and God knows that. And God is a God of grace and mercy, thank God. But looking back, looking back I sure wish I wouldn't have been in the path of sinners in fact, some of you might confess, sometimes I sat in the seat of a scoffer. What's a scoffer, you say? It's a mocker. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, know this, that in the last days, mockers or scoffers will come with their mocking. Have you watched it? There are people in our society right now that if you bring up the Bible or prayer or the Word of God as a solution for this culture, look out, you better duck. Because they'll mock you with everything that they got. They'll marginalize you. This is what scoffers do. Notice the progression. First you hear the counsel. You know, then you're kind of hanging out in the path, kind of walking with it and, and going with it and standing with it. And eventually you've settled into a seat of a scoffer. There are very public uh, right now stories out there where one-time Christian leaders have now uh, apostatized. They've left the faith. They say they're no longer Christians. 
And some of those people actually mock the faith. What a terrible place to be in where you once sung for the Lord, preached for the Lord, and now you're in a chair of mockery. The Lord's going to deal severely with mockers. Job said of his friends in the book of Job, my friends are scoffers. My eye weeps to God. Job 16, 20 and 21. Oh, that a man might plead with God as a man with his neighbor. Job felt mocked. Jesus was mocked on the cross. Proverbs 4 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Don't pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Tell you what, turn over there. It's just the next, next book to your right. Psalms, then Proverbs 4. So much good content that kind of fits with verse 1 here. So I do want you to just take a peek at it. 414 Proverbs. Wisdom from a father to a son about how to avoid disaster. Verse 16, speaking of these, the wicked. It says, Proverbs 4.16, They cannot sleep unless they do evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. They eat the bread, 4.17, of wickedness, drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Contrast with the wicked there. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And then flip over to Proverbs 9. We've been talking about mockers or scoffers. Don't sit in their seat. Don't do what they do. Proverbs 9, 6 says, Forsake folly and live. Proceed in the way of understanding. Get counsel from God. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in his learning. And then, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The, the writer of Proverbs often then moves into the idea of sexual sin. He says, by me your days will be multiplied. That is, if you embrace fear of the Lord and wisdom, years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, 12, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. She, she bids to them, calls to them, back to Psalm 1. And so this wisdom will help you see through that, will help you settle into a seat of understanding instead of being naive and going the way of destruction. This person who is blessed, verse 2, Psalm 1, makes their delight, instead of the counsel of the scoffer or the wicked, their delight is in what? The law, Psalm 1-2, the law of the Lord. Psalm 1-2 says, by contrast, 
the blessed person's delight, Hebrew word chepso, what they value, what they see as beautiful, what they would might describe, and I want to put this in your vocabulary, as moral beauty. How about that? You ever considered the idea of moral beauty? You know what moral beauty is? It's being faithful to your spouse. Moral beauty is excellence. It's purity. It's sacredness. Some words that I think we need to put back in our culture, even at wedding ceremonies. And everything in the culture is beating at that purity and trying to woo us away from it. We know the struggle. But how about the idea that you would delight yourself so much in the law of the Lord that you would value moral beauty? You see, your delight when it's in the law of the Lord, it means that you'll meditate, Hebrew word haga, you'll ponder, you'll muse on that law day and night. It will be your focus. It will be your delight, is the idea of the beginning of verse 2. It will be something that you're favorable towards. It'll be beautiful and valuable. In contrast to sitting and walking in the things of the wicked, you'll sit and walk and stand in the things of God. Amen? How many of you have become so hungry for the Word of God? You can't get enough. I'll tell you what. The more you get into the Word of God, the more it gets into you, and the more it produces the beauty that you read about. It becomes part of you. It begins to produce a beauty that becomes the moral likeness of Christ, the author of the Word. Everybody with me? See, the Psalms point you to Him and make you more like Him. And this idea of meditating means that you can slow down, downshift, ponder a little bit. Turn off your devices and just think. Think about delighting in the things of God. Day and night speaks of continuance. It doesn't mean if you miss a night that you're, God's mad at you. Day and night is used of the cosmos that display the glory of God day after day and night after night. Paul said to many churches, I pray for you day and night. Jesus talked about people in the last days who will be crying out for deliverance night and day or day and night. It's the idea of continuance. It's not some rigid, it's six o'clock and I gotta do my Bible study or God's mad at me. No, it's a continual, you're just hungry for it. It's your delight. You know, we, we have a Bible study right now on Thursday mornings, typical number of guys that are there. There's 15 guys there. It's nine in the morning. It's during the week. Why are they there? Because their delight is becoming the law of the Lord. Now there's times in those Bible studies, that it's a very uncomfortable and inconvenient truth. <laughs> you know why? Because the law of the Lord is not always how I'm living. So sometimes I say, and all God's people said, ouch. <laughs> sometimes it hurts. Sometimes the light of the law shows something that I need to turn away from. Psalm 119, I just want to read it for you because we're going to run out of time quickly, but the first three verses kind of sum up. It says, How blessed, Psalm 118.1, are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways, Psalm 119.1-3. And then quickly over to Psalm 19, because it says, 
this person is delighting themselves in the law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord? Maybe you see the word law in your Old Testament. You've got the Hebrew word Torah. Torah. T-O-R-A-H. That's the word law in Hebrew. Torah. Torah literally means, get this, to hit the mark. Sin means to miss the mark. We're all imperfect. You know, if I'm a baseball pitcher and my mark, if I'm not Joe Kelly throwing at the Astros' heads, but anyway, that's another story. Some of you saw that. That's a shout out to Joe. <laughs> we'll try to gather ourselves. But so let's just say you're trying to hit the catcher's glove. You're trying to throw a strike. The moment that you miss the mark in the olden days, it could be archery or, or uh, darts. They would say, sinner. Now, you could have hit the board. You could have hit the 20 or whatever. But you didn't hit the bullseye. So you missed the mark. That's sin. We're imperfect. Now, there's words for sin that are also transgressions. So you know the line and you still crossed it. That's transgression. But the basic word for sin is to miss the mark. The word for uh, law, Torah, means to hit the mark. So the law of the Lord will help you to hit the mark. But you got to know what the mark is to hit it. There's an old saying, he who aims at nothing is bound to hit it. Let that sink in for a second. See, if you have no goals, no target, you don't even know what you're aiming for, then you're bound to hit it. But if you know that Torah helps you hit the mark, then you want to see what the law of the Lord says. And Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law, Torah, of the Lord, the covenant name of God, is perfect. What does it do? It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. And I could show you a lot of things about the law of the Lord, but that's a good verse right there to show you what the law is about. It restores. Psalm 19, verse 7. It makes you wise. It helps you hit the mark. It has a benefit. It's restorative. It restores the soul, the inner person, the nefesh in Hebrew. Your heart, where God wants to work. That's what he does. The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores your soul. God's less concerned about the outside until he takes care of the inside. Once the inside's taken care of, which is what the law of the Lord does, or the word of God, then the outside follows. Now, I won't get into the distinction between the law and the general word of God, but just suffice it to say here, the psalmist is just talking about meditating in God's word. He's not talking about rules and regulations per se. He's just saying like Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. You should be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you shall make your way, what? Prosperous. Then you shall be successful in God's eyes. Back to Psalm chapter 1. So the law of the Lord is the word of the Lord. So you read Ephesians, you read the book of John, you're getting the word into you. We move from the negative to the positive. Negative in verse 1, positive in verse 2, Psalm 1-2, to the metaphor. Okay, what's a person who avoids the wicked and their path, delights themselves in the law of the Lord, what are they like? Well, you get a metaphor, a picture. They'll be like, keyword like, 
a tree firmly planted by streams of water, keep reading, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And what's it say? And whatever he or she does, you prosper. How many people want to be blessed and prosperous in our culture? <laughs> well, people say that. We just got the formula. How blessed. Now, that's a beautiful picture. And that's what I want to be like. I want to be fruitful, providing shade, having the living waters come into my life so that I can grow. And even if it's really hot outside or a drought comes, that water is still feeding. You'll be like a tree. You'll be firm, notice, firmly planted by streams of water. You'll yield fruit. We have the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit and so glorify my Father. You'll bear fruit in season. You'll yield. You won't wither when it's hot and difficult and you'll prosper. Psalm 92:12 says, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. That's Psalm 92, 12 through 15. I just put in my notes, no matter what age you get to, you'll be useful and fruitful. Useful and fruitful. And I'd like to show you just one key passage that's in Jeremiah. Hold your place in Psalm 1. You've got to go right. Okay, you're going to come up to uh, Isaiah and then Jeremiah. Just go a little bit to your right. 17. This is written by the weeping prophet who saw his nation fall. He saw people rebel against God. They weren't doing Psalm 1. They wouldn't listen to the prophets. They wouldn't obey. They turned away from the Torah. And the repercussions were a 70-year captivity and destruction at the hands of Babylon. And here we are. Just pause for a sec. Look around. And I'm not talking about this room. I'm just talking about, you see what's happening right now? And do you see how if you bring up getting back to the things of God, which was really the foundation of this nation, as we could say, imperfect people, but there was a heart to establish this United States of America on the fundamental principles of Scripture. You bring that up now, you're laughed and mocked and labeled and canceled. See, this is part of the strategy to not even give it a hearing. Here's what happened to God's chosen people, Jeremiah 17, 7. Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, but they weren't doing that. He will be like a tree, like a well-watered oasis planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious, notice, in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. But here's the problem. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can know it? Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart I test the mind 
even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Just write this down for your notes. Isaiah 27, 6, pointing to what some see as a future restoration of Israel. In the days to come, Isaiah 27, 6, Jacob will take root, Israel will blossom and sprout, and that land has, and they will fill the whole world with fruit. I've got in my notes that Israel, once underwater, once a forgotten land, is now the number three exporter of fruit in the entire world. The land has blossomed again. It's become fruitful again. If you want more on that, uh, Ezekiel 36 is a place to look. Let's go back to Psalm 1. A lot I can talk to you about prospering and fruitful, but I think you know a lot of those passages. Back to Psalm 1. Now we're going to get a contrast, and I'm just going to, I'm going to move rapidly and just show you the contrast now with the wicked person. The wicked person doesn't look like this. This is not their picture. The wicked, Psalm 1, 4, are not so. They, instead of like a tree firmly planted by streams, they are like what? Chaff which the wind drives away. When you separate wheat from chaff, you throw it up in the air, and on a windy day, if you're up on top of a hill, the wheat will land, it's heavier, and the chaff will blow away. That's the picture, uh, maybe in our day, it's captured in a tumbleweed. Tumbleweeds are a pain. They just appear, sometimes under your car. Sometimes in your kitchen. How did the tumbleweed get there? And then have you ever tried to take it to the trash can? It just crumbles and it cuts you and dastardly tumbleweed. And the tumbleweed just responds, what can I do? I just blow wherever the wind blows me. <laughs> you know some people like that? Just blowing with the wind. Everywhere they walk into, their hair's all messed up. They look like Doc in Back to the Future. <laughs> Eyes are red. Dude! Just blowing with the wind, baby! <laughs> Yikes. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that pastors and teachers were given, evangelists were given, for the equipping of the saints so that we are no longer like children tossed here and there by the waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4.14. No stability for this person. No deep roots, no water feeding it. They don't know anything about the things of God. They're like two friends who were walking through a field when suddenly an angry bull chased them. They wanted to get religious, so they headed for the fence as fast as they could, as they could move, and decided to say a prayer. One cried to the other, Say a prayer! Do you know any prayers? I don't know any, answered his huffing and puffing companion. You've got to. Well, the first said, as the bull was getting closer, Okay, I'll pray the only one I know. Lord, for what we're about to receive, may we be truly grateful. Therefore, <laughs> on the horns of a dilemma there, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Here's the bottom line. They ain't going to make it. That word stand there means in the day of judgment, they'll fall instead of standing. See, there's one who can keep you from falling on judgment day, Jesus. He's able to keep you from falling. 
when the heat of God's judgment comes, you're going to stand because in God's grace you will stand. The sinner on the day of judgment is going to fall and fall hard. That's the picture in verse 5. They won't be in the assembly of the righteous. They won't stand before the Son of Man. Pray that you will be able to have the strength to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. They won't. They're going to fall hard in the judgment. Crumble. Their house is going to fall like a house of cards. When the storm comes, that house that was not built upon the rock fell and great was its fall, said Jesus. Many scholars believe the end of Matthew 7 is the final judgment. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, Psalm 1, verse 6, will perish. Father, thank you for your living word. We took in a lot this evening. We did a little introduction, and we tackled such a majestic and wonderful and powerful psalm, telling us how to be blessed. And I know each and every person, whether they're watching live stream or here, they want to be blessed. They want to know you. They want that true ashar. They want to know the presence and power of God. And they've been given the formula. I've been given the formula tonight. If I would simply abide, meditate on your living word day and night, I will be a blessed and prosperous man. Oh God, would you help me in my moments of weakness and laziness when it's hard sometimes to get to my Bible, when maybe everything at us, Lord, keeps us away and we, we don't even remember where we put our Bible. <laughs> where is my Bible, we sometimes say. Oh God, help us to take delight in it. Not because of the book itself, but because what it actually is. It's the living word of God. It's your word to us. It's living and powerful. It's breathed out by God and can come into us and produce prosperity in the best sense of that word, being spiritually prosperous and being successful. Jesus is the way. He knows your way. And if you don't know him tonight, would you just keep your head and heart bowed, cry out to him, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know this one who blesses and gives life and abundant life. I'm going to turn from the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of the scoffer. Maybe you would say, I am sorry that I embraced that counsel. I mocked you. I don't want to be deceived. You are not mocked. Forgive me, Lord. I don't want to sow to the things of the flesh anymore. I want to turn to you. I want to delight. I want to have life. Something like this. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to take my punishment to pay my ransom I trust in you your death on the cross your resurrection from the dead I want to follow you I want to be a blessed person and I want to also bless others if you need to come back home tonight the way home is simply just come back to your father and he'll receive you back and for all of you precious saints may you be blessed as you delight in the law of God. May he produce beautiful living water in your life, beautiful fruit that remains, that feeds others, and that glorifies him.